0: You're listening to the Charge Forward audio blog by Chargebacks 911, bringing you the latest in payments and fraud. To learn more about how Chargebacks 911 can help you reduce chargebacks and recover revenue lost to fraud, visit us online at chargebacks911.com.
1: This episode is a replay of a webinar entitled High Risk, High Rewards and features experts from Chargebacks 911 and paykings
0: Okay, welcome everyone to the webinar. I want to thank you for joining uh, us today and taking the time out of your day to do so. Uh, my name is Jared Wright. I'm the uh, marketing lead here at Chargebacks 911. Um, for those of you maybe unfamiliar with Chargebacks 911, we help merchants by identifying and preventing chargebacks before they happen. And uh, then we help merchants uh, refute illegitimate chargebacks once they do happen. Um, also uh, presenting today is J- Josh ne- uh, I you told me how to pronounce it, and I, I just forgot, Josh. Josh, I'm, I'm going to say Naaman, who's the uh, creative director at PayKings. Josh, do you want to uh, tell us a little bit about what PayKings does and uh, tell me how I butchered your last name?
1: Absolutely. You got it right, Jared Naaman. Um Great. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for everybody for coming. Um, I'm with PayKings, I'm the creative director there. Um, we provide merchant accounts to all types of businesses, uh, but we have an extra focus in high risk categories. So we're constantly finding new and emerging processing solutions for these unique industries. And then we help businesses grow by getting them the processing that they need.
0: Great. Um, Well, well, I'm excited to have you here. And I'm excited to kind of talk about this topic today because I think there's a lot of um, information and a lot of sort of tips that we have, uh, for everyone today. But before I get to started, I just wanna go over how the webinar will be structured. The first part of the webinar will include a short presentation from myself and from Josh. Um, this portion of the webinar will be fairly visual, so it's important if possible, you close other windows and give us your attention. The second portion of the webinar will be a Q&A where we answer many of the questions that were submitted. This portion will be less visual, so it's okay if you just kinda wanna listen to that part. Uh, please also feel free to submit any questions that you have during the webinar. Um, we promise to answer any questions submitted, even if um, if we're not able to get to it during the webinar, we'll make sure that we uh, answer it uh, by email after the webinar. Um, because everyone always asks, this webinar will be available for replay starting tomorrow. Um, not all of the Q&A portion will necessarily be included in that recording, however, so we encourage you to stay with us today to get the maximum value out of this event. Um, <clears throat> lastly, this and other webinars will eventually be released in audio form on our podcast. So if you're an audio learner, I encourage you to search Charge Forward, all one word, with Chargebacks 911, however you listen to podcasts. Um, We have webinars and some some other interviews and some other shows that uh, we publish in audio form. Okay, without any further ado, uh, anyone that's attended another webinar that I've, I've hosted knows by now that I like to kick things off by asking a dumb question. Um, the theory behind this is that I think it's a privilege to get to work with different industry experts and um, as kind of an exercise I force myself to try and think of a real question that I have and uh, Sort of force myself to ask it even if even if I think it's probably a dumb question So do you mind uh, Josh if I ask you a dumb question? Not at all. Let's do it. Great um, So my question for you is pretty simple um, you know, we, we use a term like uh, unique industries, I think, for this webinar and, of course, high risk a lot. Um, and I went to your website and you have a list of some of the different types of businesses that might be you know, included in this category of high risk. Um, but honestly, when you look at it, it's a pretty diverse list. And I think it's something that, that you're planning to talk about a little bit today. But just sort of to set the s- scene, um, is is there sort of a simple way or how how do you draw a circle around? Um, whether it's business type or billing practice, you know, how how do you, I, I guess in short, what makes a business high risk? How do you define a high risk business? That's
1: a perfect question. And it's interesting because I have been, I thought, oh, it's pretty simple when I first started to work with Pekings. and it became more and more complex. And I learned that there's a lot more nuance there. So there could be a number of reasons why a merchant could be considered high risk. Uh, The first is that they're in an industry that's regulated to some degree. So there might be changing restrictions or on the federal or state level on products they sell, like vaping products, nutraceuticals, um, or ingestibles that would be regulated by the FDA. And so they would, the merchant would need to follow stricter guidelines. Another reason would be brand association. So a merchant account provider wouldn't want to associate with particular categories that might cause them reputational risk. Um, For example, uh, firearms or adult dating, Another uh, last reason would be uh, just how the the payments are processed. So uh, it it could increase chargebacks, for instance. Uh, If you're selling jewelry or rare coins or old antiques, uh, those are high ticket items, and they're perceived to be riskier by banks. Uh, But we'll definitely break this down more and look at that question more thoroughly uh, later in the presentation. But good question.
0: Great, great. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Um, <clears throat> okay, so, I, you know, as Josh just really talked about, chargebacks are not the only risk that merchants face. It's not the only sort of variable when you think about a high-risk business. Um, but for my portion, for probably reasons that are fairly obvious, I'm going to focus on chargeback risk. Um, and I'm going to start by talking about sort of the interconnectivity of chargebacks in other areas of your business. Um, I think it's safe to say that with high-risk businesses, there's often a fairly large upside but in order to realize that reward, the uh, risk reward um, sort of dichotomy, you really need to make sure that your business is optimized in a way that maybe traditional businesses may not need to be. Um, so it's important that you think about the sort of different, how different things are interconnected within your business. And um, you can think of the relationship like a balloon, where if you adjust pressure on one area of the balloon, it creates issues or it creates more pressure in another area of the balloon. And, um, <clears throat> An easy way to illustrate this sort of interconnectivity is the relationship between disputes and refunds. Um, now, it exists in, it's, you know, there's all kinds of different ways that it's connected, but a real clear one is the disputes and refunds. Um, and if you think about it, if, if a business is focused on reducing chargebacks, one of the things that they'll often do is they'll make it very easy for people to cancel or request refunds. Um, w- you know, we've worked with retail businesses that won't even require the items be physically returned. They have a no questions asked refund policy. And that, in large part, is to uh, mitigate chargeback risk. Um, there's some other reputational risk and there's other reasons that that, the business might make a decision to have that, but invariably what's going to happen is you're going to have uh, an increased number of customers that abuse the refund policy. So if if you if you squeeze too far in a a chargeback reduction mode then you have um, oftentimes you'll have other consequences of those efforts uh, deep inside the business. So, so really when you, when you talk about the optimization of a business, um, it's important that you think through all of these things and kind of identify where the line is drawn for you, where the, where the right decision is, whether that's, you know, should there be a little bit of friction on your refund, but you, you generally allow people to, to refund, you have fairly uh, lax refund policies, or, you know, you could have, um, very strict refund policies and do things like, you know, require, um, um, a restocking fee or something like that. And then, you know, if you do that, then you you will be increasing your chargeback liabilities as, um, as a consequence. Um, <clears throat> so so how do you really figure out how to optimize your business? Well, in marketing, something that we always talk about and something that I like to talk about when we're, we're discussing these problems is using A-B testing to identify, you know, what, what works the best for your business and, and what the, sort of um, best place to be on all of these sort of issues are. Um, and really what you're looking for and the, the the great discoveries that you can get through A-B testing, and the reason in fact why we do it in marketing is that it's, it's really impossible to anticipate and sort of know intellectually the impact that one action or another action is gonna have um, within your business. I'll just give you a quick example. Um, <clears throat> Oftentimes, um, one of the areas where merchants will have, well, they will increase their uh, chargeback liability is in the way that they sell the products. Um, and so, w- oftentimes, what a merchant will do is they will use very colorful language. I mean, we're in advertising, so our, our job, in in a certain way, is to is to oversell or to you know cre- uh, create a story of that the product's going to be great. But maybe there's a line, a, a guarantee. You know, You know the best pencil ever this pencil you know will write for hours or or whatever that um, the merchant believes is driving revenue Um, and so it's you know even though what ultimately they discover is that if you take that line out if you sort of revamp the marketing message um, it it, you know it it may decrease sales but by a very small amount um, but it'll reduce chargebacks and so that's really what you look for is those relationships um, where something unexpected happens. Um, So do A-B testing to test your assumptions. Um, Another issue that uh, we encourage that merchants resolve is um, their reputation. Um, uh, We encourage them to manage expectations and prioritize reputation management. And, And the reason for it is because um, the negative opinions of others will convince cardholders who are on the verge of dissatisfaction that you're an untrustworthy merchant and filing a chargeback is the logical solution. Um, The thinking is, well, I've been ripped off just like all of these other people online. Um, So improving your and maintaining your online reputation um, will ultimately mean that fewer chargebacks are issued. Um, And there's several ways that you can go about this. you know, from publicly making amends to angry customers on Facebook to sharing positive testimonials from loyal c- clients. Um, generally, what we recommend is that the reputation management strategy be implemented before issues arise, because once negative reviews start appearing online, they can be much harder to deal with. So, it, you know, if that's, if that's creating content for and ranking positive content um, before any negative content appears, um, you know, that's That's something that should be worth your efforts if chargeback are um, one of the risks that you're trying to mitigate. The next one, and this is this is just sort of you know I think this is kind of a no-brainer, but it's something that I always like to hit because I think it's it's super important. Um, I, I think people underestimate the value of customer service. I think just in general, customer service is your greatest chargeback management asset, and the you know there's two reasons for that. The the first reason is because customer service is going to be your first line to prevent that chargeback, right? Um, having a customer service department that sort of mitigates any unhappy customers that sort of um, you know, handles unhappy customers effectively um, is 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 going to reduce chargebacks. So so they're there in a, in the in a position to prevent chargebacks. The second way, and sort of the underappreciated way that they help, is that if you have an actual live person or if you have um, you know an actual record of a communication with a customer that is unhappy, um, and then that customer ultimately goes and files a chargeback, that interaction and and that record um, can be compelling evidence that's used to, Uh, Refute that chargeback. Um, So having, you know, having a customer service department in many ways, I mean, it's sort of sort of a twofer. You get the added benefit of being able to prevent chargebacks by, you know, you know having having a live person or having, you know, even if it's through a chat, having having somebody that's available to make sure that that person is happy. Um, But then also because you've engaged with that customer through this additional channel, um, you know, provided that evidence is on your side, um, oftentimes that that conversation can be used as part of a uh, representment to uh, to have that chargeback overturned now that's not going to reduce and I and I think I think Josh may talk about this a little bit but that's not going to reduce um, your chargeback ratio um, so if you have a, a, a purely chargeback prevention strategy so if you're really up near that sort of danger zone and, and you need the, the only thing you need to do is reduce chargebacks then um, the fact that you're going to be able to to have a have them overturned is not as helpful as as it could be if you were in a better position. Um, and the last point that I want to make is from a chargeback reduction standpoint. One of the things that people are really surprised by, and we actually did a, a study. It was a couple years ago now, um, but we did a study where where we we onboarded some clients and we looked at what their sort of chargeback rate was. And they we didn't really do anything except uh, begin to effectively represent. Their chargebacks. So we we started fighting essentially, and um, over <clears throat> a a quarter, um, pretty much across the board, um, you know, across all of these bins, um, uh, the the chargeback rate, the number of chargebacks went down for all of these customers, and um, the reason for that is because the chargeback departments of issuing banks are not giant teams. They're relatively small teams Uh, and you can develop a reputation either good or bad within these teams fairly quickly. Um, And so if you have a reputation of of, uh, representing chargebacks, of creating sort of paperwork and creating issues, you know, what will happen is that the uh, issuing bank will do a little bit more due diligence oftentimes when somebody tries to file a dispute. Whereas on the other hand, if all you do is accept chargebacks or you are ineffective in your representment efforts, um, the uh, issuing bank will have the idea that uh, you know maybe your business is not um, the type of business that uh, uh, you know that that you're kind of up to no good. So that's basically it. Those are those are my ideas. I just wanted to kind of uh, preface. Um, Josh, Josh is really the the high risk expert, so I'm going to hand the uh, the wheel over to him. Josh, let me give you access to the keyboard. Thank you. I've got the you power. should be good to go. We should up and down on your control pad.
1: Awesome. Thank you. Um, and real quick, I love the balloon analogy for me. I'm more of a visual person. And so like squeezing the balloon and uh, was was helpful to visualize what you were uh, what you were talking about. So so thanks for that for me. Um, But here, I want to kind of set the stage for um, focusing on businesses that mainly operate in the high risk space, but also set the stage for speaking on the characteristics of who are running these companies, because in general, entrepreneurs are independent and risk takers. it doesn't only take a lot of work and independence and courage to start any business, but to start a company in an industry that's already considered high risk uh, takes an extra level of entrepreneurship, in my opinion. And and I I think that's just a general fact. Um, But with these added risks, uh, the whole point of this is that there are higher rewards. uh, And uh, hopefully we can expose some of those rewards through some payment scenarios today. Uh, But it's it's interesting. The, the longer I'm in the payment industry, the more I learn about how many different companies I would have never expected to be considered high risk by banks uh, because of regulations or different types of billing methods. Um, uh, that that there are so many that I did not know about, and uh, and, and constantly, it feels like daily uh, I'm learning more. And you think something easy sim, that you thought was so simple uh, at, at at first um, becomes more and more complex Uh, but that that keeps it exciting Um, so here are are just a handful of the industries that we work with um, and that banks uh, consider high risk Uh, it's not even a comprehensive list Um, but at Pekings we deal with these companies every day it's exciting to hear the sales call with a business that I never knew existed not just the name of, of the business uh, but not even aware that the whole entire industry uh, existed, uh, so it also helps to keep this uh, this position extremely interesting, but I want to focus here on, uh, on some scenarios throughout the rest of this presentation, um, and I want to start with subscription boxes because it's something that stood out to me that I had never thought about. In high detail, like I'm going to discuss now, um, and obviously they're extremely popular uh, trend of billing. It's only becoming more popular with Netflix or Dollar Shave Club and Ipsy, uh, Book of the Month, which is a great idea. Um, but you wouldn't think of those as high risk, but they are because subscriptions in general um, they're as if they're extreme profit generators because the custom customer signs up once um, and every month that. Uh, keeps coming in to you indefinitely, but the risk comes when people sign up and they uh, forget they signed up or claim to forget they signed up and then they cancel or potentially then you would maybe see a chargeback instead of them speaking to the company directly. And so obviously that would then negatively impact the business and go back to all of what Jared was saying that they have to deal with um, once it goes too far. Um, But there are then subscription boxes that could hold even higher risk in the eyes of banks um, such as puffer box and they sell monthly boxes filled with smoking accessories or we could look at uh, the pleasure parlor which is the subscription service of curated pleasure products so with with these extremely prop- profitable model of subscriptions it comes with its hurdles uh, but I think if you asked uh, Mike Dubin, he's the founder of Dollar Shave Club, I'm pretty sure he he would say that that is um, well worth the reward. And uh, I know no one can respond back to me, but if you had to guess his net worth, what would you guess? Um, I was incorrect when I guessed, but it's $200 million um, Mike is worth, and in 2016, Dollar Shave Club was acquired for a billion dollars cash or around a billion dollars cash from what I've uh, researched so incredible so overall high-risk merchants pay higher risks or higher rates on payment processing because of this risk Um, it's just a fact of the high risk realm uh, but it doesn't mean that you can't be insanely profitable and get good rates too um because if you have higher volumes we can negotiate those rates on your behalf so for instance this firearm merchant a very large firearm merchant uh was shopping for new re- rates and got a hold of us and over that time we were able to save them close to two percent on all of their processing which is really exciting and it lowered rates increased profit for them I spoke uh, earlier uh, about being on the cusp of new industries and breaking new ground so we can help startups. So people who don't have any processing history, there are options um, and there are sustainable options. Uh, You could think of CBD and related businesses in that space. That's a huge profit potential um, and in a way it's just groundbreaking or breaking its ground. Um, and it's it's been exciting to be a part of that booming industry in a in a way i'm i'm from Indiana, which is going to be the last on the train regarding that but uh let 's just say it's good to be in Florida now and uh here we have a merchant that was shut down with no notice, so another scenario uh where they have no idea what 's happened uh, It could happen for a variety of reasons, but it happens and um luckily, we can help these merchants too and Uh, For instance, this one, we were able to get them back up and approved in two days. Um, And on top of that, now, since they got established properly, uh, they had uh, enough to get approved for credit card processing and then have been able to scale their growth since. And if you wanted to take that further, over time, uh, establishing more volume, back to the other slide, we can continue to help that merchant by saving on rates, by negotiating those rates. Um this is uh my last slide it's going to circle a little bit back to Jared's uh, realm but we we had a merchant that was going to be shut down because of just the the amount of chargebacks that they had um so luckily we have great partners one of them being chargebacks 911 and we referred that merchant to them uh and chargebacks 911 got them set up with the prevention tools uh which were able to get them back up and processing in in a matter of days um, so that that literally, I mean, saved their business because if you don't correct that, you could—it's a slippery slope, like Jared was alluding to. Um, so I'll, on the chargebacks topic, I'm going to throw it back to you, Jared. I appreciate everybody's time.
0: All right, Josh. Yeah, th- thanks. Thanks about uh, for that. Yeah, I, th- I think you know on this last slide, because we talked about this case study a little bit, you know, and and I think this sort of illustrates my point because I. Because when you talk about A/B testing or when you talk about sort of how all these things sort of work together, I think it's very easy to 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 look at everything as like like that that there's maybe one solution. So if you have um, a ch- chargeback problem, if you're you're up uh, towards thresholds and you know because you have a recurring business model or maybe you're using a free trial mo- model um, or some some other negative option model um, where you have maybe a higher chargeback liability, um, you know sort of changing the way that you sort of operate um is is a viable option but there are also um tools that that a company like chargebacks 911 can implement for you that that really do prevent chargebacks and they you know we, you know our bread and butter is done with the representment of chargebacks so you know having that chargeback overturned is great because it drives revenue um <clears throat> puts puts money back into our customers pockets so that's always you know that's the most popular thing that we do um, but we also have a suite of tools that just prevent the chargeback before it even happens. Um, And and that's not typically a revenue generating um, tool, even though we could sort of make the argument that it is. Um, But what it does is it allows you to, to avoid the chargeback so that um, you don't put your processing at risk and you make, make sure everybody stays happy. And so that that's an option too. So that's that's one of those areas where you really need to look at because it's, there's no right answer. It really depends on what your situation is. And that's something that, you know, Josh could probably talk to you about or if, if you're a business and you're struggling with chargebacks and you wanna see, you know, are there options outside of the things that maybe I've brainstormed? Um, that, that would be something that somebody on uh, our team can talk to you about as well. Um, <clears throat> okay. So I'm going to get into these questions really quick, just to make sure that we have a chance to go through them. Um, the, the, Sarah asked, "Why would an issuer deny a response when a proof of refund for the uh, for the fraud transaction is provided?" Um, <clears throat> okay, so th- this is, there's a lot of unknowns here. So I I was um, you know trying to do a little bit of research and have a, a really clear answer here, but I th- think the consensus with everybody I talked to is that there's just too many unknown variables. Um, for for one thing you know not all uh, card networks are the same not all issuing banks are the same with the way that they execute the different policies so um, you know if it's a, a American Express versus a, a Discover versus a MasterCard versus a Visa or if Sarah's in another country and using you know one of the other uh, card networks, um, you know, all of them sort of have different different policies. So in theory, you know, after some of the changes that Visa made last year, and I know that it's had an effect, I don't think it's been perfect, but in theory, the double refund issue is generally um, less of an issue. Um, than it used to be, but it but it still can create an issue. So it also depends um, on the way that, that uh, Sarah issued the refund, if she did it in a way that the uh, credit card company was able to recognize as a refund and not as another type of uh, credit. And then um, <clears throat> the last issue is, um, just to be clear, I just want to make sure in case Sarah uh, hears this, if, uh, if if what she's saying is that that she got a chargeback and then she refunded it as a way to prevent the chargeback, um, that's, that's never going to work and that's always a bad idea. In fact, um, we, we recommend that you, um, you know, are on, uh, you know, the, the, what a customer will do oftentimes is file a chargeback and then go seek a refund um, after they filed that chargeback. So making sure that you have your, um, your accounting and all your systems sort of interconnected in a way so that that doesn't happen to you, um, is super important and that's something that we can help you do. Um, now, as far as you know, why was the? Uh, she it sounds like she refuted the chargeback. She responded to it with uh, compelling evidence and it's still, uh, she she lost the dispute. So there's a couple of things here. One is that in in the perfect of cases. Um, I don't think it's possible, and, you know, maybe somebody on my team would argue, but I'm pretty sure it's not possible to win every single case that you should, right? So even if you have, um, you're, you're running a perfectly perfect business, uh, you know, and you've never made a mistake as a merchant, and it's 100% all friendly fraud, there's no criminal fraud or any other issues, um, you know, you're, you're not going to have 100% overturn rate, and there's a couple of reasons for that. One of the reasons is because the, you know, as I talked about earlier, the size of the departments at these issuing banks that ultimately make the decision, um, you know, they're, they're not giant teams, Um, you know, and frankly, they're not, you know, they're super sophisticated, they're kind of, you know, the, the mailroom type of, type of, um, type of department typically, and, um, and so, you know, these teams are overworked, and they're getting paper, and they're, sometimes they're coming in from fax, sometimes they're coming in digital, Um, and as a result, you know, sometimes things get missed, sometimes they don't, you know, take five minutes to read your entire case and to really evaluate it on its merits. Um and 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 that's that's just the reality. Uh so there's there's not going to be a perfect situation where um you might you're, you're gonna win every case that you should. Um and that's just an unfortunate reality. Um, <clears throat> the Zach wanted to know what adjustments should merchants make to work in high-risk industries? Um, so we talked a little bit about high risk, is how it's different. But Josh, did you have, you know, like what, what, what would you say are, you know, sort of the things that um, that mark a, a shift from from a normal business to a high risk business? What would, what should Zach be prepared to to make adjustments for?
1: Yeah, there's there's um, a couple suggestions there. Um, when it comes to you know anybody ma- maneuvering in there in the high risk space. Uh, first would be to make sure that your payment processor has a custom solution for your business. A lot of merchants think that, oh, because I get instantly approved with Square or Stripe, that uh, my merchant account is set up and all good uh, no matter what. Um, and like we saw before uh, in these scenarios, you can you can just get shut down like that. So do your research ahead of time and find a high-risk merchant account provider uh, to, to make sure that you can continue to operate your business in a sustainable way with people who know what they're doing in this space, um, the experts. Uh, My second suggestion is to make sure you're following all the compliances that would be issued by uh, banks or even researching policies and and doing really good due diligence. Um, This includes uh, having detailed information on your site, like a frequently asked questions page, uh, terms and agreements page, and not having any claims that would be exaggerated or not proven uh, that's huge Um, and that will also in turn we talked about it earlier uh jared hit on it a a lot that that will improve your general customer service because the transparency of your of your company and the operation and it will only legitimize you further um so yeah that information and communication are pretty much keys to reducing chargebacks and keeping those customers coming back
0: yeah, I, I I think I think there's probably less room for error when you agree when you're in a high risk business. I, you know, I always imagine yeah. that a, a lot of businesses, you kind of have a, a pretty forgiving runway. Um, you can kind of make a bunch of mistakes up front. But when you're in a high risk business, you know, you, you, you make too many mistakes or, you, you know, you're not prepared for something. Um, you could you could lose your processing and you could do it in a way. Uh, where you're just you're, you know, you're in a really big it's you're it's gonna be very difficult for you to get processing again And then and then that business is basically over at that point um, Yeah, that's so great be prepared, you know, have the have the customer service figured out, you know before you before you start driving traffic to to your website before you start making any sales make sure that you've Got it figured out how you're gonna if people are unhappy. How are you gonna deal with them? Um, yeah. Make sure that you have you know, yourself protected from you um, you know, a policy standpoint, you know, are you disclosing that it's a subscription clearly enough? Um, exactly. You know, have, have all of these things figured out ahead of time, have the reputation thing figured out, um, all, all of that stuff. Cause if, if you, if you don't, the consequences are not, oh, well, we didn't, you know, we didn't make as much money this month. I mean, the comp- the consequences could be, well, that business is gone, right? It's that no longer, it's a riskier. Except accept credit cards is gone.
1: Right. It's, it's it could be riskier to just not take do your due diligence from the beginning, like because you you could risk everything.
0: Okay, uh, Doug, wanted to know why do chargeback reason codes seem to be constantly changing? Doug, I wish I knew. <laughs> um, so yeah, it just sort of seems to be in vogue right now. Um, you and uh, some people on my con- content team would agree that it, it's getting a little bit ridiculous. I, I think it's you know what it is. I think there's a little bit of a rolling change. So so. What happens is, you know, Visa says, "Hey, we're going to make a change," and then they start announcing it, right? So then everybody starts hearing that this change is coming, and then they make the change. But then, you know, all of the banks haven't become completely compliant yet. So maybe, you know, partially some of the re- new reason codes are coming through, and then you have some old reason codes coming through. And uh, you know, it's, it's not like they turn on a switch and then everything's different. So it just, it takes a while for it to kind of work its way through the system. And then it sort of seems like right on the heels of, of that, MasterCard you know, recently made a change um, where they kind of switched around the way that they were categorizing um, stuff and you know, really made it so they had only a few n- numerical codes, but they had you know, different names for the, for the uh, uh, different categories. But, um, and then I know that you know sometimes reason codes can get retired. Um, so I, I, I don't have a great answer because I'm not, you know and of course, I'm not in a, in a room that's making a decision, but I think that there may be uh, you know, it, it may seem like it's constantly happening, but really, it's just that it it takes a while for for these things to 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 change. Um, and And the expectation is, look, there's always going to be one one or two that they retire, or they figure out a better way to deal with it um there's that's just going to be something that that you're going to have to sort of um, come to expect but but i agree it's it's um uh, it has been the last few years have been there's been a lot of that so um <clears throat> i don't know josh do you guys have experience at all with that with the reason codes is that is that that's that's sort of downstream from from you guys right that's
1: yeah that's further downstream from uh, us and especially me in that realm so i don't want to speak to that but i, I think what you you said makes a uh, 100% sense great
0: um the next one's a, a great question that i'm sure a lot of people have um and i think that you're in a perfect position to uh be able to our uh, uh, you know kind of speak to uh, mike wanted to know what percent of chargebacks are acceptable for payment processors and i have a feeling this is a complicated question but i am curious too how how do you define it
1: yeah um yeah there's not one answer uh but you because ideally payment processors wouldn't want to see any chargebacks but because it costs them internal resources and and such but uh it, it essentially they become the the judge in the dispute between the customer and the merchant so they they happen um and they have and the banks have a threshold it's usually somewhere uh from 1.5 to 2 percent um recently we had a merchant who had chargeback rates up to 15 percent and the bank shut down their processing on the spot once that number number surged that so if there if there are people that many people trying to reverse charges that usually means that the merchant isn't offering a refund or sold an inferior product or you know isn't providing the service that they they promise so it's it's good to keep your chargeback rates you know very low uh no higher than one percent you know to avoid worrying about those thresholds at all in those bank compliances.
0: Yeah and I, I think, in, and correct me if I'm wrong Josh, but my, under, my general sense of it is that it is sort of made a little bit complicated because um, the banks and the so the card schemes have guidance or they have thresholds or rules or regulations and then each individual processor or bank um, th- there can be additional layers of policy exactly on top of that that are enforced sort of unevenly or th- it's difficult to even understand um you know depending on industry or whatever so um so it's so it's always it's always hard i th- i think the good answer is just talk to your processor up front if if you think it's a concern right definitely okay um, <clears throat> okay um i'm not going to try to pronounce um well, I will. Handy asked, um, h- "How does a chargeback affect my company's reputation?" Um, <clears throat> so we talked about this a little bit up up at the top. And the the first the first way that it uh, impacts your reputation, the chargeback in and of itself doesn't really affect it this way. But just un- unhappy customer, um, you know, once you hit sort of a tipping point with unhappy customers, then you'll have you'll have problems because people will search the name of your business and they'll see that other customers are unhappy. A lot of times, w- what we see when we uh, work with a business that has a chargeback issue is that they have, you know, not only do they have customers that are complaining about their uh, um, the product or complaining about the service that they got, but they're openly sort of advocating for using the chargeback mechanism in order to get the resolution. So they're they're writing complaints, and inside the complaint that the next customer sees, they say, "All I did was call my bank, and my bank fixed the problem." Um, so. So you know that's a that's a really huge problem you know once you've gotten to that point um, so it's important like I said at the beginning to just you know tr- try to try to avoid that you know I mean try not to have customers be upset um, but also you know be proactive ahead of time before it's a problem um, so that you know it's th- that information isn't all over the internet um, and then the second way that it happens is. Um, You know, when I was talking about the size of the chargeback management teams at at acquiring banks, um, they are small teams. So if you're doing enough business, they're going to know, they're going to recognize your representment cases. They're going to know, you know, also, hey, we've had multiple customers contact that have requested a a chargeback from this company. So you're going to have a negative reputation, um, you know, at that acquirer. Um, And even sometimes you can get a negative reputation at, um, excuse me, at issuers. I got the, I got the two uh, uh, mixed up. So uh, you have a negative uh, reputation at issuers, and and what will happen sometimes is that issuers will look for a way to, you know, initiate a uh, chargeback or you know, decline a charge. You'll start to get false, uh, uh, false declines. So there's there's a lot of issues that can happen, um, and you know, re- keeping chargebacks low is important, but also you know, refuting illegitimate ones. So if if people are filing chargebacks and uh, you know and they're illegitimate. So you you've notified them in the, that they're going to be billed the second time. You've done, you know, you you've got everything documented. It's important that you do refute those cases and you do and you do you know, it's important that you're also successful with it because um, that will really help reframe the um, the idea that these uh, banks have about your business um, and it'll really help your pre- reputation. Um, so I think that's it. And um, Josh, did you have anything else? I'm going to click all the way back up here at the beginning. I'm going to put your email and my email up here in case anybody has any questions um, about anything we talked about or wants to complain about something we didn't talk about. um, You can email me or you can email Josh. Um, And if I I can't get you the answer, I'll definitely make sure that I I find somebody that can and uh, I'm sure Josh will do the same.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks a lot for, for everybody's time. And I, I appreciate doing this with you, Jared.
0: Yeah. All right. Thank you, guys.
1: Take care.